I want to welcome those who are joining us on Facebook Live as well tonight and who will be listening um, to our service throughout the week this week as they check in. We truly believe here at Bridge Church that everyone was created on purpose and for a purpose. And our job as a body is to meet people where they are and lead them to a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. If you are a guest with us tonight, thank you for joining us. This has been a change, um, change in the Sunday evening. And it, but it's been an encouraging change at the same time, a lot of prayer, prayer going on during it. But if you are a guest with us this, tonight, there are a couple, the best way to connect with us is to fill out the connection card. A couple different ways to do that. Um, yeah, that's our new church app. If you haven't gotten that yet and you want to get our church app, if you go to our website, bridgechurchmn.org, and click on either the Apple Play Store logo or the Google Play Store lo logo, it will bring you to e either whatever your Play Store is that you need to download. It'll be the Ministry One app. And then if you click that link through our website, bridgechurchmn.org, it will actually download right to our church. And so you won't have to go searching for it. Otherwise, if you go download the Ministry One app, you then have to search for our church, which is Bridge Church MN, if you want to look for it. On that, there is a connection card for you to fill out so that we can get to know you a little bit and we can find out you know, a little bit about you. We're not gonna spam you with email or make crazy phone calls to you, but somebody during the week will reach out to you and try to connect with you, answer any questions you might have. There, you can also online there, um, or if you go right to our website, bridgechurchmn.org, if you don't wanna download the app, if you roll to the bottom, there is a, a tab that says connection card. Just click on that, it'll pull up the form, it's all electronic, you ain't gotta do nothing except fill it out. To finish up with, that's, that's pretty much, I believe, and I said it already, God has something unique for you tonight. It may be in something I said. It may be in something that's already been said. It may be in something we sang. It may be in something at the song we do at the end tonight. That God wants to speak into your life. It's that simple. It really comes down to, are we ready to hear him speak into our life? We got our frequency turned in right. Let's get started on this message for tonight. Um, this didn't ever plan to start this out as a four-week series, um, this What's Next series, but it, it, as I kept reading, it kept morphing into, into, the next, you know, into the next step, basically, into the next thing. And so this evening, we're going we're gonna to basically try to wrap it all up. Into, a, into this nice little ball so it kind of all makes sense how the three weeks prior to this are leading to one decision. Remember I talked last week about taking that fuzzy little gray area our culture likes to live in and shrink that so we can decide are we hot or are we cold? Are we on fire for God or not? And not just play around on the fringes. And so as, as we're going through this, and the challenge of this series is we don't always know what road we're supposed to take. We don't always know what's going on. We, we know change is painful. We know walking away from things we're comfortable with hurts. Sometimes, I just want to tell you, that's what God is asking you to do. He's asking you, do you trust me more than your comfort? Can you walk away from what you know to step into what I have? And so we, we need to understand that when we go back to Hebrews 11, you start reading again, like we talked about a few weeks ago, of that, that you know, the big guys of faith, 
they had hard times. They went through stuff. They, 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 they had made hard decisions. I mean, I don't know how many of you guys want to take your son up and sacrifice him on a mountain, but hey, Abraham did it because God told him to. He took a step of faith. God stepped in and gave him a new son, and there's all kinds of interesting history with that if you go into study, and I'm not going to go over it tonight, but it's awesome. Just saying, if you read from that point to when Jesus was crucified and what was going on, there's all kinds of history that goes with that because everything God does falls into place and, and makes sense if you read the total story. And so the biggest prayer that I've had for this for all of us is that you can start to see the freedom we have in Jesus. Even if it's a glimmer, you know, that, that little just flash of freedom because it'll give you hope. And so I've been praying for you guys that that's what you see. doesn't matter how long we've been saved. We all need hope. We all need freedom. We all need Jesus. It doesn't matter how long we've been doing this. Now, does that mean any of us are ever going to be perfect? This side of heaven, no. So understand, we also have to be real. And my message tonight is going to, that's what that's going to talk about tonight, is being fixed up or wholly devoted to God. We touched on it a little bit last week at the end of the message. Week one, remember, we talked about how our environment helps us grow. We talked about how we had to step out of bad environments into good environments if we wanted to grow. Seeds, same thought process. They're probably not going to grow real well outside right now with the snow and the cold because the environment isn't right. But come next spring, what happens? The environment changes. It's now good for it to grow, and so it starts to grow. And so we, we, we talked about finding our joy and finding our peace and the love that we're all longing for is found in the process of knowing God first and foremost, knowing who he is, and then we find our freedom in him when he forgives us of our shame, our guilt, our sins, our past. And then we find our purpose when we start to find our freedom. And after we find our purpose, we go out and make a difference. And then we go right back and start over again. We get to know God a little bit more at that point. Because thank heavens, we will never know everything about God this side of heaven. So there's always no, more to know about him. There's always more that he wants to reveal to us. Week two, we started talking about shedding our labels, picking up who God says we are. God didn't choose you because of something you did. It's because of who he is. God chose us because of his love for us. We can't earn it. We are his children. We're covered by his amazing grace, and it is his grace alone that gives us the right and the privilege to call him Father. We can't earn it. We just got to receive it. And then we start walking it out. Last week, we, we talked about the dangers of customizing our Christianity and culture, how we pick and choose what we want out of the Bible. Well, that's old-fashioned, so that can't be for today. Well, I don't agree with that so much, so I don't want to listen to that one. I like this grace part where, you know, where grace abounds, you know, where sin abounds, grace abounds more. I like that one. Because if I sin, then I get more grace, right? And again, we all read the gene version, and it says, Paul says, what are you, an idiot? No, that's not how it works. Maybe he doesn't, but that's how he says it to me, to get my attention. 
and how fearing God and loving God is shown in our obedience to him. We choose to do the right thing, even though the wrong might be easier. That's a heart that fears God, a heart that loves God, is you choose what's right. And, and it can be as easy to say, you choose what's best for something that you think is better. Are you willing to put off what you think is important for what God says is? And so this evening, I want to wrap this series up, and we're going to be looking at some verses that I think encapsulate everything we've been talking about. And my prayer for tonight, as it has been for the last few days, is that when you leave here tonight, you have a bigger picture of God. If you came in and you see, you think of a father as somebody who is waiting for you to screw up to punish you, I pray you get a picture of a father who is standing there and with his eyes on the on the horizon waiting to see you come over and runs to you. I pray if you see a father that just is constantly going to forgive you. Nah, he also says, guess what? Your rod and your staff are going to come for me. You're going to smack me back into line when I need it. We need a full picture of God. The grace is great, but without understanding the judgment of God, we only get a half a picture of him. And so I want that balance in our lives. And so I can't just do whatever I want and not expect consequences for the choices I make. And I want you to be able to start pursuing the dreams God has placed in you. Understanding that if he placed them there, he will accomplish them. We can trust him with our lives. I want us to pray like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, not my will, but your will be done. And our heart is surrendered to God because that is where our true freedom is found, is in surrender and wholly devoted to God. Rob Ketterling once made a statement in a, sermon and, and a talk as we were sitting and talking, you know, the, how, how do you know what God wants you to do? You know, how do you know God told you to do this? And he said, quite honestly, my philosophy is I just start moving and God then nudges me into the right path. You know, it's the old, old thing. You, you can't, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. You know, you can't steer a parked car. You can't push a wet noodle. Whatever analogy you want with it. If you want to see where God wants to take you, get moving. And then listen to his nudges. And he will nudge you where you need to go. And that's the beauty of following God. That's the beauty of being wholly surrendered to God. Is the movement of God because then can move you. But God can't move through you if you ain't moving. And so even though I'm going to make mistakes, I'd rather make mistakes going all out for God than miss a blessing because I didn't want to move. I want to read an illustration here to you um, tonight that, that kind of talks about this. It says, Watchman Nee relates a story from one of his experiences as a Christian leader in China. 
A group of young Christian brothers were gathered together to take a swim in one of the many creeks that run through the countryside. Since most were not good swimmers, they were careful to remain close to the bank so as not to get in water over their head. One of the brothers got a little too far and began to struggle in the deep water. Realizing his predicament, he began to cry out to his neighbors, who were by now were out of the water and drying off. Help me! Save me! He yelled, all the while thrashing his arms and legs in a futile attempt to keep his head above water. Brother Nee knew that only one man was experienced enough to, at swimming to provide some assistance, and he turned to him for help. But strangely enough, the would-be rescuer calmly watched the man's plight, but made no move to save him. Why don't you do something? They all screamed in unison, but the man stood there apparently unconcerned. After a few moments, the drowning man could stay afloat no more. His arms and legs grew tired and limp, and he began to sink underwater. Now the slow-moving lifeguard dove into the creek and with a few quick strokes reached the victim and pulled him to safety. Once all was well, Brother Nee was beside himself. How could you stand by and watch your brother drown, ignoring his cries for help and longing and prolonging his suffering? But the man calmly explained, if I were to jump in immediately and try to save a drowning man, he would clutch me in panic and pull me under with him. In order to be saved, he must come to the end of himself, cease struggling, and cease trying to save himself. Only then can he be helped. See, that's a spiritual lesson that we all need to learn. Nee concluded in this story, and we also need to conclude that just as the drowning man cannot be saved until he stops struggling, so must all who would, be, who would want to be saved by Christ stop struggling. When we come to the end of ourselves, that's where we're going to meet Jesus. Matthew 5, 3, and 4 says it this way, and I took this out of the, um, out of the message version of the Bible. Remember, Jesus was teaching, and this, this was in the middle of teaching the Sermon on the Mount, and he goes in and, and he says this. He says, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you because then only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. See, Jesus encapsulated that story in two verses. He says, when you get over who you think you are and you realize you can't do this on your own and you realize you can't save yourself and you stop struggling, that's where I am. So if you walked in here tonight and you felt like you were struggling and you had nothing left, that is encouragement right there because that's exactly where God wants you. He wants you at the end of your rope so he can meet you there and so that he can help you. So as we, as we finish up this series, we're going to see that in order for God to do his work in us so that he can do his work through us, we need to empty ourselves. You see, God wants to fill up what's empty. If you go back into 2 Kings, I think it's chapter 4, 4 or 5. I can't remember right off the top of my head right now, sorry. Let me look it up real quick. He's he's, there's a story of a, of a widow woman. Yeah, it's chapter 4. It says, Now a certain woman and wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, 
Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor has come to take my two children to be a slave. Elijah does what all of us good Christian people should, would do and say, what do you want me to do about it? That's what he says. He says, what shall I do for you? He's like, what do you want me to do? And she's like, dude, he fears God. He worked for you. He was basically an intern and did all this stuff for nothing. Now he's dead. They want to take my sons away. And that's the best you got for me. I think we might have heard that from God once or twice in our lives too. We come to God, we're crying out to God, and he's like, so what do you want me to do about it? No, she didn't give up, did she? Because Elisha then looks at her and says, okay, what you got? <laughs> and she's like, I got the empty vessel and I got some oil. What am I going to do with that? He's like, go collect as many jars as you can, your bowls as you can, send your kids out and grab some stuff, get as much as you can. Then go into your house and start filling them. That didn't make a lot of sense because she didn't have a lot of oil. What was she going to fill it with? See, God loves to fill empty vessels. God loves to take. Yeah, there was a little feedback there. God loves to take what's empty and refill it. And so she goes in, she keeps filling up oil, and it's really cool because guess what? She didn't run out of oil until she ran out of jars. The minute she ran out of jars, she ran out of oil. So God continued to work until she had nothing left to fill. God will do that with our lives. He will continue to fill us as long as we keep coming back to him until we meet him. It doesn't stop. His Holy Spirit, his anointing, his oil of the Holy Spirit will continue to wash over us, continue to fill us, and continue to use us until we go meet him in heaven. That's what I believe. That's what I get out that story. And so when we understand that God loves filling empty things, we understand that we can trust God when we feel empty. When we come to God when we're empty. So as I get in, and I'm, I'm going to go through this quickly, Luke 7, 36 through 50. I'm not going to read the whole story to you. But in this, we see the upside down, inside out, crazy teachings of Jesus happen again to people. Okay, Jesus, in this story, Jesus got invited to a party by a Pharisee. Okay, but in this story, we see that the Pharisee did not invite Jesus because of who he was. He did it out of religious duty because Jesus taught a lot as a rabbi. So he wanted this famous rabbi in his house. Like today, we'll invite, you know, the famous preachers, the famous people to come to our churches because it'll make us look good. So they invited, that was the thought process I think this dude had when he invited Jesus to his house. Now we know he didn't honor him and didn't want him there because he didn't greet him. He doesn't, it says in the story, it says he doesn't greet him. He doesn't offer a basin for his feet to be washed and he doesn't offer oil to be anoint his head, which was customary at that time. So we know he really didn't want him there, but he did it because he was supposed to. Simon who is the name of the Pharisee, and this did not honor Jesus. 
I think we do that in churches once in a while. We show up because we think we're supposed to so we can hopefully look good for somebody else because they might see us there. And then once we see us there, we can hit our checkoff list for the thing and then we leave again. We don't really want to honor Jesus with our lives. We just want the benefit of who Jesus is. Yeah, that deserves an amen right there. I mean, unless it kind of smacked you in the face. Maybe don't need an amen, but ouch. Uh, that wasn't in my notes either, so that was a total God thing, So, because I probably needed to hear it more than you did. You see, Simon didn't, un- didn't understand what was going on. Simon didn't understand who Jesus was, but in th- verse 37, things freak out. Things really change at this point. Things get blown out of proportion. Because it says, and there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. This is how she's described. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And she kept wiping them with her hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. Not many of us today would want to be labeled that way. This woman made the Bible being labeled. She was a sinner. And she came in. Another version says she was a prostitute. I watched a message this week that really stuck with me about a gentleman who came into a church. He went to the bar the night before had got lit up, drunk, crazy, but had decided that night he would go to church the next morning. He went to church the next morning, sat in the back row, was never greeted. No one ever acknowledged he was there. He walked, no one ever asked him if he needed anything. He walked out of there and talking with a friend said, I will never go to a church again. I felt more loved sitting on that bar stool than I did sitting in that church pew. That's a sad state. That's why our theory has always been, I don't care, you can have blue hair, spike, 42 tattoos, smell like alcohol and beer. When you walk in, we got a front row seat for you. You are a guest of honor because we're a sinner who's come to meet Jesus. And we're broken. Because see, when she walked in, she made people uncomfortable. When she walked in there, they started asking, what is she doing here? You see, at the end of the day, she heard Jesus say something that grabbed her heart and she knew she had to get to his feet. It didn't matter where it was, what was going on. Did I have something on my calendar? I need to meet Jesus. And so she threw everything to the side and said, I'm going to go meet him. I'm going to go meet this guy again. And he looks up at her and I think... He looks up with that loving, just smile on his face. And at that point, she breaks because she's been accepted. Of seeing Jesus look at us tonight, knowing we're accepted. Knowing it's okay to be broken before him. Because instantly, the tears start to flow. I mean, apparently it was a lot of tears that she can wash his feet. It wasn't one of those, you know... (laughs) It was that ugly cry, you know, where there's just tears falling all over the place. 
And it was freedom is what caused those tears. It wasn't a sadness. It was a joy she had never felt. He gave her a peace and a love that she had been looking for her whole life and everything she was doing. And in that very moment, Jesus gave it to her. See, her life needs to be what our life pictures. We are emptied out. We're broken before Jesus. We're emptied out and know who he is. Because you read to the end of that story, and in verse 50, he says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I pray we can walk out of here with Jesus speaking that over our lives tonight. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Because if we wanted to think about the two people in that story, the sinner or the Pharisee, who would you prefer to be? Yeah, we all want to say the sinner, but how often are we more worried about what people think? We're a little bit more like the Pharisee, I think, than we want to admit. Count me into that. See, when God sees brokenness, he sees beautiful. When we see people and we see ourselves the way God sees us, we get a different view of ourselves and those around us. In worldly terms, when something gets broken, its value decreases. But in kingdom culture, when we die to ourselves and come alive in Christ and for Christ, value exponentially increases. As we become less and emptied, God fills us with more of him and we become greater in his sight. If you want to know the grace and love of Jesus more deeply and if you want to know the kind of value and the kind of purpose he has for your life, I'm telling you it only comes through brokenness. It only comes through emptying ourselves and then we have to become real with that. I've talked about it many times. We've got to stop coming into church with a fake smile on our face when our life is falling apart. We got to learn to be real. That's why it's the first statement on our, on our signs. What are the three things you, you look at with Bridge Church? It's be real, belong, and become. Be real, learn. We're all broken. God is the one putting us back together. We all have our own brokenness because brokenness is part of life. We need to stop trying to hide it. We need to stop trying to pretend it's not happening. We need to stop trying to fit all the pieces together ourselves and instead say, God, this is it. Take the broken pieces of my life and put it back together. And he will because that's what he does. That's what a loving father does. But he needs all the pieces. So as Michael's going to come forward in a second, and we're going to just play a song here at the end. It's an older song by David Crowder, Crowder called Holy Yours. I really like the words in this song. I want to wrap tonight up with a couple of verses to finish this series off. The first one is found in John 12, and it's verses 24 through 26. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for, for life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. 
And so Jesus is telling us in that statement, the only way to multiply your life is to die for me. To empty yourself of you for more of me. And the greatest act of brokenness is found in Isaiah 53, 5. It says, but he was pierced through our, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourgings, we are healed. You see, tonight, family, what we need to understand is we are made whole because of his brokenness. We have life, freedom, and joy because Jesus chose to be broken for us. And it's only after being broken that we will, we're really truly ready to fulfill our purpose to be used by God.